I'm your host, Jeff Dawson, for another episode of Dawson's Domain, where we cover the spectrum of life's pressing issues and events, from politics to relationships, sports to horror, alternative history to poetry, humor to baseball coaching, and everything in between. gentlemen, boys and girls, and for those who can't figure that out, we can't help you. Yeah, that's my opening blast at the British Railway, where the conductor brought that up, and one person complained that they didn't know what they were. Well, you know, when you get your birth certificate, it says M or F. It doesn't say, I don't know. They're in a question mark by it. So if you can't figure out, well, too bad. And for the British rail to apologize for that because one person, they didn't say how many were on the train, but one person complained. Well, it's like, I'm sorry, just put earplugs in next time. Get over it. We're not here to keep bowing down to the absolute ridiculous minorities that want to run everything and say, I'm special. I'm special. No, you're really just getting irritating as hell is what it's coming down to. And enough is enough. You can't figure it out. We can't either. And we're going to move forward, whether you like it or not. I'm sure I'll get some flack for that, but you know, that's just the way it is. I just thought that was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Okay. I didn't have a show last Saturday because I'm bi-weekly. So I have to backtrack on those that were at Dunstan's for a rather festive occasion it was kent's 60th birthday and every once in a while i'll say all the gang is there well literally they were all there we had it was the berry clan patty jerry wit maureen leslie kent raymond jennifer ronnie virginia heather justin samantha Robin, and last but not least, the great-granddaughter, Parker. And I must say, she was extremely well-behaved, a bunch of some really interesting people that just, it was just a good time. It was a good time. And, yes, a shout-out to the servers, Stacy, Tracy, and Samantha. To back, to, damn it, Jeff, learn to talk. Tracy and Tabitha. And I have to thank Tracy because she told me last night that she finally finished Love's True Second Chance and really enjoyed it. And she will post a review. Tabitha is still working on it, but that that's okay. Let your daughter read it. But Tracy said what a lot of the reviewers have said. Folks, this is a true love story. And if you listen to me on this show, and you enjoy it, then you will enjoy this book because that's what the reviewers are saying. Not me, but the reviewers say it's like sitting across from me and me telling the story. This is a narrative. Yes, it's a work of nonfiction, but it is a true story of me reuniting with my high school sweetheart, Debbie Beck, after 30 years and then losing her to cancer seven months later, but that's not what the story's about. 
It's about what we did, everything we did in high school, and then the amount of life we were able to pack in that seven short months from January to July of 2009. So I really appreciated Tracy's comments on that. And it is, it is a, it's a book that when I wrote it, I want the readers to be involved in it because we aren't characters. We're real people. Myself, Debbie, her daughters, my sons were involved in it. My youngest more so because he lived closer, but that's okay. So I'm glad Tracy enjoyed it. And then she picked up my satirical work, Irving Titans, which covers the Dallas Cowboys from 89 to 95. Yeah, the last of the glory years. So if you're a Cowboys fan, you will be able to write to everyone in that book. All the names were changed to protect, I won't say innocent in this case, but basically to keep me from getting my ass sued off. But that's okay. That's okay. And yes, we were at Dunstan's again last night and a new couple that I'd never met, Jim and Hope were there. Very nice to talk to them. Hadn't met them before, but it's always a good time at Dunstan's. So if you're looking for a good, affordable steakhouse in the Dallas area, they have two locations, one on Lover's Lane and the other one on Harry Hines and Regal Row. It's good atmosphere, it's good food, and if you don't have a good time, well, it's kind of like what the conductor said, go someplace else and figure it out because we can't do much more than that. Okay. Book review. I had never heard of this book, The Pitch That Killed by Mike Sowell, S-O-W-E-L-L. And it focuses around Carl Mays and Ray Chapman of 1920. Chapman played for the Indians. Mays played for the Yankees. And when I was reading this, it reminded me of Tony Canigliero when the Red Sox were playing the Angels and he got hit in the face in 67. Obviously, in 67, we have batting helmets. Well, They started talking about them actually before 1920. It gained a little momentum and then it just kind of died out because it's baseball. But they were talking about everybody wearing a helmet in the field. And the players said, no, no players union back then. We didn't get to see that monstrosity until the 70s. But they weren't thinking just about at the plate. But this is really a good story because both of these guys, they are diametric opposite. Carl Mays was not liked. He didn't care. Whereas Ray Chapman, everybody loved Ray. Ray was making plans for after baseball. He married a very affluent gal from Cleveland. Her father was very successful. He was going to come in and take over the business. He actually worked there during that summer getting groomed. I mean, that winter getting groomed for it. And then in August 16th, he caught a pitch that hit him in the temple. He was a right-handed batter and he died a couple of days later. Very tragic. 
in the but the book is really good. I, I as I said, I've never heard of this before. But what was interesting was as I read through it, and they talked about how a batter gets mesmerized. It does happen, and this is what Tony Canigliaro said when he finally came to, and they asked him why didn't he get out of the way of the pitch, and he goes, "I tried, but every place I moved, it kept following me." And this, for whatever reason, baseballs really do some bizarre things sometimes we the science can't explain it physicists have tried mathematicians have tried they don't understand what the thing does why it does what it does they come up with theories and thoughts and opinions but when it gets down to it it's like we don't know why one ball broke three feet and down and in and the other one thrown the same way broke six inches and broke in and hit a bat. I mean, it's, it's a baseball. It's, if you've played the sport, you know what I'm talking about. And, and this, you know, getting hit by a ball is not really pleasant. As a pitcher, I hit my share of batters, not on purpose. You can lose the grip, especially when it's hot and your hand's sweaty and doesn't matter how much rosin you use, you're still going to lose the grip on it. And you don't mean to hit a guy. But when you hear it, it's like, oh, damn, I know that hurts. So it's like, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. Well, Mays led the league and hit batsmen. So he had this moniker of guys didn't like him because those that would crowd the plate, he'd brush them off and he'd brush them off hard. We see a little bit of that in today's game, but not near what we used to. But if you've never read the book, I highly recommended i i really enjoyed it i think it took like i don't know two days maybe three to knock the thing out but uh yeah it hit a home run okay oh the texas rangers i'm not throwing in the towel yet it's too early it's only may my other team i follow the detroit tigers that's another story. <clears throat> I don't know what they're doing. I don't see a lot of hope for them. I could be wrong. I see more hope with the Rangers, even though they've lost the last four. So they go out to San Francisco and they lose those two. Okay. I understand that. Connor Brogdon, who I've talked about before and actually got to see him pitch. So I'll get into that in a minute. He gets out there and he had a horror, the worst game he has had so far in this early 21 season. He got lit up. I think they got like seven earned runs on him and he only got two outs, which is very unnatural for him. When you look at his stats, he's been really solid. And on his next, uh, next appearance in relief, he was dead solid. He was back to his old form. So he did what they said couldn't be done per se. And that baseball is a mentally tough game. Whatever you did yesterday, if you failed, if you had a horrible day, you forget about it, you move on. That's the hardest part about baseball is forgetting the past. There is no past. There is only the present and the future. We've seen teams, what was it, the 59 Pirates? that won the world series Mazeraski's home run. And at the halfway point of the season, they were done. 
at least people wrote them off, but they won the last game of the season and sent them into the playoffs. So as I tell people, you know, just like last night's ugly loss of 10 to four to the Astros, I don't give up until that last out is made. And I saw this last Sunday. It was last Sunday. It could have been the week before that. Braves were playing the Phillies. Tie game. Extra innings. I get to see Connor Brogdon come out and pitch. Oh, my Lord. Like watching Nolan Ryan. He is so smooth. It's, it's, it's a thing of beauty to watch him pitch. It's, it's great. And I've been watching Connor for about 10 years. He just gets better every time he steps on that rubber. So he pitches the 10th inning. Cause the Phillies hadn't scored. The Braves don't score. Then we go into the 11th and the top of the 11th, the Phillies pick up three runs. What is the chance of the Atlanta Braves getting three to tie and four to win? Not real good. If I'd have laid a hundred dollar bet, I'd have said, yeah, that ain't going to happen. I'm glad I didn't bet that hundred dollars because instead of letting Connor start the 11th inning, they brought in another reliever. He immediately loads the bases and before you know it, it's four. It's, uh, what was the final seven to six or eight, to seven Atlanta. So for me, until the last out is made, the game isn't over because as a coach and an umpire and a player, I have seen more rallies come with two outs across the board. Cause when a team realizes, man, I don't want to make the last out you kick in to a different gear per se. And you don't want to be the one that lost the game. Cause I, I still remember to this day when I was at Chandler baseball camp, many, many moons ago and making the last out in a game. And I remember the coach yelling at me and the players yelling at me to choke up. And I just really wasn't listening to them because I was hitting this guy, but I was late. I can still hit. I kept hitting everything down the right field line, right field line. And I forgot if I struck out or if I flied out. But, you know, I didn't want to be the last out. And it's that, – that was a tough loss. You know, what? Let's see, 60, 40 – so 45, 48 years ago, I still remember that game. You don't want to be the last out. And I was, you just, you just don't want to do it, but the Rangers, yeah, they've lost four in a row and it's just not the starting pitching. They've made some errors. The bats have gotten a little cool. So it's the team effort. It's good to see Chris Davis in the lineup. Willie Calhoun is back. Hopefully, Culberson 
is going to figure out third base. At the bat, he's a plus. Defensively, eh, he's got a lot of work to do. But I believe Holt is out, so he's injured. So he's got it. But I'm still, and I've said this multiple times, I am tired of the experiment of Heim and Trevino. I want Trevino behind the plate. He has proven himself time and time again. Defensively, he's better. Offensively, he's better. So I don't understand why we keep, why Woodward and uh, the current, the new GM, Chris Davis, can't figure this out. I mean, it's not like he's playing back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back games and needs a rest. Neither of them are. Is that the strategy? We don't want to just wear out a catcher and then bring in the other and give them a little break? Or are they trying to keep them fresh for every game by not playing them consistently? Yeah, but with baseball, consistency is a key. Just like if you're playing in the outfield, it's a key knowing who is out there with you and how they play, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and knowing how they're going to approach certain situations. I played outfield. You throw me out there with somebody I'm not familiar with, it's a it's a marriage. We got to get to know each other. We got to figure it out. You know, you do that in practice. But when you start switching them out in the game all the time, it causes a little confusion. I knew my range limits. I knew the center fielder's range limits. We could complement each other. We knew how to back each other up. But you got to be consistent. We understand all the injuries with pitchers and blah, blah, blah. But you got to be consistent. And this is probably my biggest complaint with the Rangers right now is a lack of consistency on who they're putting on the field. But I'm still going to watch them. I'll watch them on Bally Sports. And if there's anybody from Spectre out there that has anything to do with that cable network, why don't y'all pull your heads out? We pull up our menu and we see an MLB game scheduled, and then we get some crap of the – Spurs playing basketball or a fishing tournament or some other crap that we don't give two shits about. We want to see the Rangers. Thank you, Fox Sports Southwest, for selling out to Bally. I'm sure you couldn't turn down turn down the money, but this has been a disaster. Because it's a coin flip. Are they going to be on or are they going to be off? I don't know how many people say the Rangers playing today. Yeah, they're going to be on TV. Hell, I don't know. I don't have a clue if they're going to be on tonight. We'll know when we turn on the game 10 minutes before it's supposed to start. If you see them on, they're on. If you don't, it's over. Most aggravating shit I've seen in a long time. Oh, it pisses me off. Okay. So the Rangers, it ain't over. They're still in contention. Do I expect them to win this division this year? No. And I said that a couple of months back. 500, maybe a little better. Maybe a little better. And I I hope to be surprised. 
Now, if you have any thoughts or comments, don't be shy. You can call in at 888-627-6008 or 323-744-4831. And I got to thinking about another topic with baseball in my management book, Do Your Damn Job. How can they be combined? Well, as an umpire, that's when I really started looking at this in conjunction with two LinkedIn articles I read this week about being kind and honest. And the other one was about being quiet in a meeting. And of course, the one about being quiet in a meeting was those that are quiet are the ones to watch out for. Well, I've been in that situation where I would wait and wait, let everybody else get their say done. And then they would look at me and said, you haven't said anything. Well, you really want me to, to talk? Of course, you could see them sigh and go, oh, hell no, not again. And then I would make my point succinct and clear. I loved it when I did that on the US 75 job and nobody could figure out how to put the lines down. We were laying fiber line. We had to put the conduit in the ground, plastic and rigid metal. And I had a map of the whole job. It was in my office. I showed where all the conflicts were. Of course, I've done that before we ever started the job, but everybody ignored it until we got to the point where it was about to be shut down. And we drove the job. Owner of the company I worked for, he was there. The vice president was there. The state was there. The general contractor was there. It was just a party. Not like we had at Dunstan's the other week weekend, but, oh, it was a party and everybody, we're going to get this damn thing fingered out today. I said, well, have at it, boys. Let's go. So we drive up and down US 75 for, I don't know, an hour and a half and everybody's making notes and scribbling and I'm just watching and listening, but we stopped. This was, this was great. We stopped at the right spot. Uh, everyone is talking. Everyone is starting to high five and get excited. We figured it out. We know how we're going to build the job. This is all you got to do, Jeff. Just put the lines. I said, you know, well, give me a set of prints and I'll do it. However, gentlemen, I have one thing I'd like to ask, and you can just see their faces just drop. Like what the hell did we miss? Well, I was standing on what they missed and it was an AT&T vault it's about eight feet deep i'm standing on the top of it private property is five feet behind me and what they had proposed is with all these lines done then we're going to bore underneath the service road this was southbound 75 up around campbell we're going to bore underneath it bring the line up hook onto it and just boogie on down south and i was like there's only one problem. We have to bore underneath this vault, right? I ask a question. They have to respond. Well, yeah. And that bore is going to come up about, what, 50 to 75 feet to the west on private property? Now their faces really get concerned. And I looked at the state project manager and said, and when is the state going to buy this private property so we can do this? How long is it going to take for that to happen? Well, we're not going to buy it. Okay. 
and they all look like a bunch of whip puppy dogs. I didn't get angry. I didn't get excited. I wasn't harsh. I pointed out a fact. Job got shut down for, I think it was nine months for a complete redesign. But I was succinct, according to these articles, I was succinct, I was kind, and I was clear. I really did enjoy that day, too. But, so, how does baseball and management go together? Well, remember, it is a manager for the baseball team, right? Yes. Okay. He's a manager. But I looked at it, as I mentioned earlier, as an umpire. So how can you take umpiring lessons, management techniques, and apply them to coaches, parents, and employees? For me, it's really not that hard because I was reminded of a couple of things. I called a championship game in Tulsa of 12-year-olds. In Tulsa Little League, the umpire cannot throw out the parents. Of course, there were times I wanted to, but that's the rule. Now, down here in Dallas Little League, we can toss the parents. Dixie League, you can definitely toss the parents. Not in Tulsa. This is a really tight game. It's uh, It was great. It was a great game to call. I was so glad they chose me for that one. And I'm watching the one of the coaches, and, I mean, he's into it. Man, he is focused. He's buckled down he's trying to figure out what moves he needs to make how everyone's playing but his fans were ragging me for the first two innings relentlessly they didn't like any call I had and I walked up to the coach said coach you enjoying the game well, that kind of broke his train of thought and he but he's still trying to ignore me like well yeah yeah it's a great game great game coach you want to watch the game from the dugout of the parking lot. And all of a sudden his gears just come to a screeching halt. He looks at me and goes, do what coach? Would you like to watch the game from the dugout or the parking lot? What, what are you talking about? Well, you know, I can't throw your parents out of the games, right? He goes, yeah. Well, if another one of those parents jumps on my back about a bad call, I only have one option. And that's throwing you out of the game. Who talk about a light bulb going on. So he walks over there and I didn't listen to everything he told them because that wasn't my place, but I'd gotten my point across to him without getting upset, being clear, succinct. And if you want to use the word kind, kind. And he got his fans to straighten up not another word well you can use that same technique in managing employees my message was clear wasn't harsh and i've done this with employees i had a two superintendents that didn't like each other and there was reason for that it wasn't unwarranted and one superintendent was doing something he shouldn't have been. And the other one, who's still a good friend of mine, John Corneliuson, comes into the yard and he says, I'm quitting. I go, what are you quitting for? And he told me, I said, hang on, hang on. Let's be calm. 
Now I could have chewed out this other superintendent, but I didn't. I called him up on the phone and said, get your ass in the yard now. And that's really the only language he understood because if you were nice to him, he just ignored you. I said, I need now he shows up, wants to know what the problem is. And I said, he's about to quit. And to be honest, I need him more than I need you. But what I need right now is for this to be resolved between you two. I'm not taking sides. You two work this out. So for about 20 minutes, they discussed it. Tempers calmed down. No harsh words are exchanged. Because the message was clear, concise. And in this case, discussed respectfully. They came to terms. It doesn't mean we held hands and sang kumbaya and all that crap, Ola. They gained a healthy respect for each other, and I gained respect for them and them to me. So this was a very productive meeting, and that's what you want out of meetings. But that's how they work together. I mean, umpiring, you have to deal with a lot of different personalities. As a manager and a company, you have to deal with a lot of personalities. Now, how you handle that situation, you can make it really bad. Like this one guy, when I was calling a game, he ragged on me the whole damn game. About three innings, I finally turned around and said, when nobody else knew about it, I could have just turned around and given him the thumb and said, get out of here. I just leaned against the fence, said, you really like baseball, don't you? He goes, yeah, it's a great game. I said, it is a great game, but you're making it a really bad game. You know that? Because every word that you're saying is going in to the kids that you are supposedly supporting. And a couple of them have turned their heads on some of my balls and strikes calls. And I'm about to lose control of this game. It's going to be your fault. So you know something? I don't care if you hoot and holler and carry on, but only if you are here to support the team. If you're just here to ride me because you think it's fun, which he admitted, well, that's just part of the game. And I said, no, it's not. It's not part of the game. It's like brandishing an employee. That's not part of the job unless it's warranted. So you can sit here and cheer on your team or go out in the parking lot. What do you want to do? Well, he chose wisely and he stayed and supported his team. And when the game was over, I said, no, wasn't that fun? And he goes, yeah, that was fun. Sorry. You couldn't yell at me the whole time, but is that really what we're here for? And he said, no, it's not. I said, you can do that in the major league ballparks, but believe me, they still, those umpires still have the option of throwing you out. So when this comes to an employee, and this was one of my responses on this being honest and kind, what are you paying that employee? 50, 60, hundred K a year. Yes, you, you need, if they're making mistakes, you need to help them out. That's a given. But how many times are you going to allow them to keep making mistakes that are starting to cost your company money and not, and, and realize they're just not getting the message, you know, Two is too many, as many people say. Well, you know, three strikes, you're out. 
if they're just not grasping the concept, you have to make a tough decision. And you don't have to go batshit crazy on them. And I did this with an employee. He was a brown noser. I knew it. Everyone else knew it. But at the time, for a while, he served a purpose. He would do a job nobody else would do. But then I saw how he was trying to manipulate me. And it's like, okay, it's about time to pull that trigger. And I didn't get bent out of shape. It's just like, you're done. You're gone. I don't need you anymore. That's all you have to do with an employee. Too bad Albert Pujols couldn't learn that. Yeah, he's in the last year of his $24 million contract. Those of us who have followed his career, it has been in steadily decline. He's had injuries. Hell, he was hitting like 198 this year. But he was convinced he could still play first base every day for the Los Angeles Angels. And even Joe Madden, who is very player-friendly, even he realized, Albert, the party's over. You know, I'm sure they discussed this in the off season that, man, it's time. We're going to pay you your last year. Why don't you bow out and retire gracefully? We'll have a big celebration. Albert, I'm sure said, no, I can do it. And they scratch him from the lineup and release him the next day. That was his choice. He could have gone out the right way or another way. And of course, a lot of players and media have come to his quote rescue. The man doesn't need rescue. He got paid $240 million over the last 10 years. He does not need to be rescued. He needs to be a man and take it like a man. I should have stepped down and for the betterment of the team. And this is what we have to do as employers at times and umpires. What's the best strategy available to keep things moving along smoothly? Do I need to eject a coach? Do I need to eject a fan of which I have done? Do I need to fire an employee for the betterment of the entire company and organization? Most of us don't like to fire people. It comes with the territory. You want to be the manager? You want to be over people? Then you have to be able to pull that trigger. Because if you can't, then you are not going to have a solid management team underneath you. Because they won't respect you because you won't make the hard decisions. And I've learned that time after time in construction. you got to be able to make the hard decisions. They might not always be right. But you, you, sometimes you just got to pull the trigger and say, you're out of here. And believe it or not, as an umpire, we don't like doing that because now the game and everyone focuses on us and why we threw out somebody. We don't want the focus. We're just there to call the game. Okay. I love baseball. I really do. A couple of months ago, I did some articles on what it was costing the taxpayers to put the National Guard around the Capitol to protect 
are elected representatives from those that elected them. And I did two articles on it. And today, just before I came on the air, a buddy of mine on Facebook posted a article from military times on a bill that what is Rosa Delore has proposed $1.9 billion to beef up security at DC and pay the states that had to send troops to protect our elected officials. That number is $531 million. So my original estimate that I had, I think the last time I addressed this was back in March or so, I'd come up that the inauguration had cost $250 million, which a normal inauguration runs about $100 million. So talk about, I knew and I stated it that I'm probably lowballing this. Yeah, I wasn't even close. And that, I mean, $531 million is what they want to pay these states that sent people in. So $605 million is going to go to beefing up security, cameras, landscaping, hardening the capital, and training a quick response National Guard team. So they can come in and take care of stuff like this. Okay. So I did a little math there. I wanted to see between the National Guard, Capitol Police, and D.C. Police, there are 9,544 stationed in D.C. So if you break this down, that $605 million, that means they're going to spend 178000 per National Guardsman. Really? Really? And these guys make, on the average, $35,000 a year. Now we're going to spend 178000 Give me a break. So I wanted to look at some other numbers on this. What's the population of D.C., Dallas, and New York? Because I needed to do a comparison here. So without the National Guard, you've got 6,144 policemen for a population of 692,000. That means there is a, that each officer in D.C. is responsible for 112 civilians. That's not too bad. When you look at Dallas, where I live, one officer is responsible for 429 civilians. One officer. In New York, because we have 31 officers in Dallas. New York, which has approximately 36,000, each one of them is responsible for 233 civilians. So D.C. is half of that. Not near the population, but uh, they want to spend another $605 million for what? 
this is the country of we the people, and they're still trying to figure out who did this, quote, insurrection. If it would have been an insurrection, the death toll would have been staggering. And every one of those people that said were Trump supporters would have been armed to the teeth and taken action. I condone this when it happened. I sent Trump tweets to pull his head out and get out there and tell him to stop this shit. But, you know, no telling how many tweets he got or whatever he read. But it still wouldn't have mattered because they still would have breached the Capitol. And what would have happened if he'd have gone down to the Capitol and told him to leave? You know, you have stories that Antifa was there, that they were left-wing agitators, that vans pulled up and people just piled out in full body armor and weapons and everything else. But the main thing is $1.9 billion. Gee, that was for a peaceful inauguration. And I don't even want to get into the amount of money that, because neither side cares about money anymore. I don't give a damn if it's the Republicans or the Democrats. They don't care if this deficit hits $40 trillion in the next three years. They won't care. Rand Paul might, but the rest of them, now nah, just keep printing the money. Just keep printing the money. Who cares? Well, you'll stop printing the money when the economy absolutely crashes. And it won't just be the Democrats that are responsible for it. The Republicans are going to be right there. It's going to be every one of those sons of bitches that's going to be responsible, just like the power outage that we in Texas went through back in February for those three horrible days. Who has been held responsible for that? Well, this is the same thing. Do I like Abbott? He's okay. But I'm not jumping up and down over him because no one was held accountable for this disaster. The people, the top four or five at ERCOT resigned. And I ranted and raved over this. This is bullshit. Who's going to pay for this? And I, I talked about this a while back. The, the, the damage is just in the, oh, God, billions of dollars, billions. And who pays for it? Insurance companies, the state, or the taxpayers, even though we don't have a state income tax in Texas, we're all going to pay for this disaster one way or the other. Higher insurance premiums, I I don't even want to get into that, but you know, where's the responsibility? Well, there isn't any. And we get to see a real example of shucking responsibility, a good friend of mine, called me up last week, Mr. Allen, big Steelers fan. So our discussions are always fun because I'm a Packers fan. He's a Steelers fan. But he talked about this BLM protest in Plano. I said, what are you talking about? I haven't heard a thing about it. So I look it up on the computer, and this was last Sunday because BLM was protesting and wanting justice for this black guy that was killed in the custody of the Plano Sheriff's Department and 
they thought they were just going to shut down traffic and they did. And it looked like it was at the, uh, service road to the DNT and 121 or George Bush. And if both of those intersections are very, very heavily traveled, I don't care what time of day it is. There's a lot of traffic on it. And Plano sends one officer out there. Now this big white guy, he's really pissed and I don't blame him. I think if his truck would have been first in line, he'd have just driven through and made a path like they did out in California last summer on the highway. You want to block the highway? That's federal crime. I mean, this, this just got to stop. And now there's talk that this white guy is possibly might be arrested yet. The BLM supporters that were carrying weapons and apparently one pulled one. Kerry kept telling me, look at the video. You can see him pull his gun out. And even in an article I read, well, they weren't sure if it was a pepper gun or a taser. Well, you don't give the police that option, do you, when they pull a weapon? You don't. The, the media doesn't say, well, maybe that's a pepper gun. Maybe that's a taser. Oh, no, they just pulled their weapon out and shot him dead. So Plano has one officer out there which that in itself is a joke. I lived in Plano for a while and I thought their police were a lot better. I'd like to see them try and pull this shit in university or Highland park and see how long they can block an intersection, man. They would be paddy wagon into white rock Creek. I can tell you that right now, because those guys and those two towns, they don't put up with shit. You drive through those towns, you park your vehicle, you better believe they're going to check your plate and then people will scream profiling. They have a reason they do that. They are going to keep their citizens safe and that's what they're paid to do. And I've worked in those two towns and I've talked to the officers and they said, that's what we're paid to do. And that's what we do. And if you don't like it, then don't come to our town. I mean, that's a very affluent area, a lot of old money, a lot of very expensive real estate in Highland and university park. Plus you also have SMU university there. So you have campus police and it is heavily patrolled a hell of a lot more than the numbers I just told you for Dallas. Each officer is responsible for 429 people. Yeah. You're really going to control crime there. Aren't you And Dallas? Hell, I forgot how many officers were still short. So I haven't heard Abbott say anything, but Ken Paxton, and I want to read this. Because I read the uh, Plano police chief's response, pathetic, absolutely pathetic. Maybe he was the guy on that train in Britain that couldn't figure out if he was a man or a woman. I really don't know. It's very possible, very possible. But uh, it starts off, this is from Ken Paxton. We must not let lawlessness take root in Texas. No shit, Sherlock. What a brilliant statement. And what's sad is that you even have to write something like this. Unfortunately, it looks like it already has in Plano, thanks to a group of radical left-armed agitators and a police chief unwilling to enforce the law. Bingo. Gee, we've seen that in Portland, which is still rioting. We saw it in Seattle. We saw it in Minneapolis, St. Louis, L.A., Dallas. Last summer, oh, the hell with the law. Just let them burn everything down. What was the last estimate? $2 billion in damage? And then those idiots go, well, they've got insurance. Yeah. We talked to the black guy 
who had just opened up a bar in Minneapolis. He didn't have the money for insurance. They burned the damn thing down. We haven't heard any follow-up stories on him, have we? Hell no. Why would we do that? Can't do a follow-up that and see how he's feeding his family or if he's part of the homeless or whatever he's doing. Let's see. Last week, a group of militant BLM protesters illegally shut down traffic underneath a major highway. No shit again, Sherlock. And it goes on. This one guy got out of his car and rather than disperse the crowd or arrest the lawbreakers, the lone police officer told the man to go away. And that's exactly what he did. He said, get in your car, go away, go away. I'm not going to send these people who are breaking the law away. You need to get back into your car, man. If you don't get this under control, people are going to get fed up. And they're just going to start driving through and they're not going to care how many body stamps they put on their driver's door. It's going to become a badge of honor. Look how many I got today. And then people are going to start shooting at each other. We saw that. Was it Colorado where that guy was in a truck and he drove through a group and they fired at him? And then tried to claim self-defense. You're blocking the highway. That is a federal crime. Got it? You are disrupting the federal transportation system. Got it? I'd like to see them try and do one of these roadblocks on the railroad. Yeah, good luck stopping that engine. They'll be scooping up bodies for miles, bunch of dumbasses. Oh, what does he say? I instructed one of my top deputies to contact the Plano police chief to get more details. What he heard paints an even worse picture than the video alone depicts. Depicts. First, the chief told my deputy that while the weapons drawn wasn't a pistol, it was in fact a pepper ball gun. In a separate conversation, the chief claimed it was a taser. So basically, nobody knows what the hell was pulled, but we want to debate semantics back and forth. In a recent Facebook post, the department is now saying it was an electronic control device. Whatever it was, the police declined to pursue the leftists who brandished the weapon and no charges are being pressed against him. What type of crap is that? Second, the chief was anxious to excuse the riders. You have to understand the situation, urged the chief. We have to negotiate with these people. Yeah, And, you know, Chamberlain negotiated with Hitler. And how did that work out, you moron? The Munich Agreement? Yeah, that worked out really well. We're, you know, is the Plano police chief got a piece of paper in his hand saying, we're negotiating, we're negotiating. Like Chamberlain said, we have peace in our time. We have peace in our time. Why the hell are the Nazis dropping bombs on us, you dumbass? Jesus. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. Uh, Do you expect us to mass arrest these protesters? Yes, we do. That's what you're paid to do. You know, that's not going to happen. Why? Why isn't that going to happen? Tell me why. Most law enforcement officers are ready and willing to uphold law and order. We need them to do that. 
but too many are held back by politically motivated leaders crippled by the woke agitators, now abiders and abettors to liberal lunacy. That is for damn sure. And as he wraps it up here, finally, only one person from this whole incident is charged with a crime. The one man who told the protesters to go away. Why? For assault with contact because he slapped a person's hand out of his face. And you see that. She's got her camera, her phone right up in her face. Stupid little black girl. Just, you know, just mouthy. Doesn't listen to anything. You just want to put cotton in their ear and put duct tape over their mouth. And I don't care what color they are. I'm telling them to shut the hell up. Oh. Uh, no one is being charged with anything. None of the lawbreaker traffic blockers and the guy who pulled a weapon. No one. And Paxton says, I will always support Texas First Amendment right to peacefully, peace, peaceably assemble. That's in the Constitution. Peaceably assemble. Blocking traffic is not peaceful. Blocking highways is not peaceful. Burning down neighborhoods is not peaceful. But the media covered all that shit up last summer and said, well, they're mostly peaceful. Yeah, percentage-wise, 93%. And then they ignored the 7% that killed dozens of people, ruined thousands of businesses, $2 billion in property damage. There was nothing peaceful about that. Remember when they took over the city hall in Seattle because one of the council people let them in? Idiots. Oh, and he finally, I, but I will never allow our beautiful Texas cities and neighborhoods to become Portland or Seattle or San Francisco because of the unchecked left. I call upon my friends and allies across the state to crack down on this lawlessness immediately. No excuses. You know, yeah, Paxton's the AG of Texas. He's a politician. But this is one of the best letters I have seen come from a politician in a long time. Why? Well, it goes back to talking about these management techniques. It's succinct, it's clear, and it's to the point. There is no misunderstanding his words here. It's dead on. Got it? Dead on. No bullshit, no flowery words, no eloquent statements to make some BS point that when it's all said and done, nobody understands what the hell you said, which is what most politicians want you to understand. It's kind of like this, uh, damn, what's her name? Rosa DeLauer. I watched her little video on Twitter talking about this child tax credit just goes on and on and i looked it up it's a deduction folks it is a deduction on your taxes and she's like and let the monthly checks begin giving the impression that you're going to get paid every month every month every month and there is some legislation out there that talks about doing that until your kid's 18 of paying the family this ridiculous amount of money well that's not the child tax credit that's a deduction on your taxes so, yeah, you might get a refund. Just what? I just don't understand what the hell these people are doing. It makes no, no sense. Okay. Fuel shortage. 
again, if you got any comments, want to ask me a question, the number is 888-627-6008. 2017, anyone who lived in Texas in 2017 remembers this really devastating event. And I would pose the question to some of my friends and they just looked at me blankly. When the colonial pipeline got hacked administratively, not production, the administrative side got hit, not the production side, but they chose wisely and said, man, we can't take a chance that they haven't gotten into our production lines and can cause some real havoc and some really dangerous situations. You see that in the last Bruce Willis movie on, uh, damn, what was it called? Where they direct all the natural gas into this one facility and he sees it, his buddy sees it. It's like, we need to get that out of here now because they're sending all the natural gas to this plant. And it's not going to be able to handle it. And the whole thing's going to blow up and it does. And there was great rejoicing. Not really, but had to use a Monty Python line there. In 2017, there was this little storm in the Gulf of Mexico that became known as Hurricane Harvey. And it was making a dead bead to Houston in Sugarland. Okay. That is where the majority of the petrochemical companies are on the Gulf Coast. Right? Right. So the owners have to get everyone out of harm's way. Right? Right. So the facilities will be shut down for the duration of the storm. And when the all clear is sounded, they will come back, they will repair the damage, and then they will bring their fineries back online, right? That's, again, the answer is yes. Before Harvey hit, I was listening to the radio, and it could have been WBAP or KRLD, and this idiot anchor came out and said, there's going to be a gas shortage. The fuel farms are full. The substation depots are full. The service stations, for the most part, are full. That one broadcast caused the most insane shortage I've ever seen. It's just the opposite of what we saw with ERCOT in our energy this winter. Only now it's the summer and because of irresponsible media reporting, we did have a gas shortage because every dumbass without a brain that must've gone to public school and can't think that one plus one is two, they keep coming up with a thousand or something panics. This is not, it is pathetic to think that our great, our grandparents, and in some cases, great grandparents fought to preserve democracy for the world against Germany, Italy, and Japan, and didn't lose their mind over every little thing. Well, today, 
they need to start holding the media accountable. They created this shortage across the state of Texas. There were gas stations that it took them four weeks to get any fuel because of the stupidity that people have. Hell, half of Oklahoma. I argued with some of those people up there about, well, this was just, this was media fabricated. There's no shortage. Of course, a bunch of stupid liberals. Bullshit. There was no shortage. The shortage came when the media panicked and people were, oh, I need to put two more gallons in my car. Ooh, that needle isn't all the way on F. Ooh, you know, it's ignorant. And then we, you know, all the stupid things. People getting plastic bags, obviously, they don't understand chemistry. You think it's really going to hold that a plastic bag is airtight? No. Oh, let's get a bunch of plastic containers from Dollar General and fill them up. Uh, no. Do you know how to siphon? How are you going to get the fuel out of that container into your fuel tank? You know, there's a little, for the newer models, you got a, got a little flap in there that you got to push down. Do you actually have a fuel can at home? Probably not because you don't know what it's for anyway. Do you got a funnel at home? No. So what the hell are you going to do with this gas? And I guess the one guy I really laughed at, he had in construction, we've got these containers we can buy to store bulk liquids. And one of them was curing compound. And you could actually hook up a motor to it. And then you'd spray the concrete after you poured it so it doesn't hydrate too fast and crack. I said, okay, he might have a brain. Not really, but at least it's in a container that is built to hold liquids. And what, there was a story of a Hummer that caught fire? Duh. People don't realize it's not the liquid that catches fire. It's the fumes. It's the vapors that come off. That's what ignites. You're using a plastic grocery bag? What a moron. Do you wake up in the morning with an egg beater, stick it in your ears and spin it? Apparently so, because there isn't much else in there. But here we go again with the media. This line is part of the big dig operation because one of the Fox anchors, I I don't even care what her name was because I didn't even know it was there. Well, that's because you're stupid, but that's okay. How do you think we got fuel from Houston to New York in World War II with the U-boats sealing off the entrance of the Gulf of Mexico to the Atlantic through a pipeline? It was called the Big Dig. The Colonial Lion has got to be part of that system. Obviously, it's been upgraded. It's got new sections in it. But it's been there for a very, very long time. Oh, and you haven't heard of it ever spilling. So what does the media do? What the media does best. We haven't driven for a year, people. The refineries didn't shut down. Our reserves were topped out. That's why we became energy independent from foreign oil. Remember that under Trump? Yeah, that happened. Carter started it back in his presidency with the Department of Energy. No one after Carter made it happen. Trump makes it happen. Yeah. You missing them yet? But the media comes out. 
Are there going to be shortages because the pipeline shut down? There are going to be shortages just like there were in Harvey. You created this shortage. And I've seen the memes about, you know, welcome back to the days of Carter. Well, we actually had it before Carter was president. That was the second time we had a shortage. And I've already covered that in another episode, but we had one under Ford. And that was because we're not buying fuel. But this time it's because of stupidity of the average individual American who believes everything that comes off of their radio station or out of that ignorant box sitting in their house, whether it's a, you know, it can be a 24 inch box or it can be a 110 inch box. It's still giving the same bullshit news. And I just shook my head when I heard it and I said, here we go again. They're going to panic all these people in the Southeast and the East coast. It's going to be gloom and doom chicken little, the damn sky's falling again and all hell's going to break loose and all hell broke loose. It is time to hold the media accountable for their inaccurate bullshit reporting and panic they're causing. There was no shortage. It was created again by irresponsible outlets. It's that damn simple, people. Think. Think. Or is that just asking too much? People say they don't listen to the news. I'm sure you know some that say it. Ask them if they living in those states. Did you go out and fuel up? Well, yeah. Well, then you listen to the news. You just mimicked what they told you. When we had the crisis, crisis with Harvey, media fueled. I knew how much driving I had to do. I didn't do excessive driving. I didn't run out to the station and get another 10 gallons. I'm good. I know how many miles per hour I get in my vehicle. I know how far I can go. Do you ask people how to calculate miles per gallon? They'll probably have their head up their ass going, huh? How do you do that? Well, for most of you, it's already calculated in your new vehicles. It's right there. It says it. By the second, it'll calculate your miles per gallon and how many gallons you have left. For those of us that don't have that technology, we just have a gas tank and our dial says F or E. Well, let's see. I drove 450 miles and I put 22.2 gallons in there. How do I do miles per gallon? Son, if I got to show you, you shouldn't even have a driver's license. And how the hell did you get through high school and not be able to do a simple math problem? You take 420 and divide it by 22.5 and this cancels and this cancels and you come up with this is how many miles per gallon I get. 
and it's a good practice to even get into if you have an older vehicle, because if your miles per gallon starts going down, you might need to take it to the shop and get a tune up if you can't do it yourself. No, that's right. You tell some of these people today to tune up the car and they're like, huh? Do I get a little winder and plug it in and start cranking on it to tune it up like a piano? No, dumbass. That's not what you do, but that's okay. You go sit down in the corner and everyone will forgive you for having a thought. Oh. Some days I wonder if there's any hope. I really do. But damn it. Garbage sacks, trash bags, putting gas in, putting it in the trunk of your car. I thought my dad had lost his mind when DuPont mistakenly shipped a case of dynamite to the house and sent it to the job site. He put it in the trunk of his car because he didn't want it sitting on the concrete because dynamite sweats. Now it didn't have a blasting cap in it because dynamite just, it's still unstable, but a blasting cap really gets the mo molecules all fired up. And, and I remember driving around town with them and I said, dad, if we ever get rear hand rear ended and that case of dynamite explodes, What's going to happen? And he said, you'll never feel a thing, son. There'll be a crater 10 by 10 and glass will be broken out for about a mile radius. Oh, that's a pleasant thought, dad. But at least it was cased. It was properly stored. It was just delivered to the wrong place. Now we're going to take trash bags and plastic containers that no telling the thinness of that gas will erode that plastic. You got fumes in your trunk. Remember the station wagons? Those of us in our 60s, they finally figured out why kids were dying from carbon monoxide poisoning because we would roll down the back window and the air as the air would whip over the top <coughs> of the vehicle, it would circle back because now you've got the window open. And if the front windows are open, now you've got a siphon going on and that air was sucking up the carbon monoxide coming out of the exhaust pipe and pulling it into the passenger compartment of the station wagon now we're going to do it with gasoline back then we didn't know this could happen but we're going to do it with a very volatile fuel that we all know we're supposed to know the chemical composition of and how flammable it fucking is stupid stupid Idiots. And if you did this, you're a dumbass. That's all I got to say. You're a dumbass. I want to know when you're, where you went to high school. Because that public system needs to be shut down immediately. I'm going to go put gas in a trash bag in a grocery sack. Oh, but I double bagged it. Reminded me of the Shawshank Redemption. We said, he didn't double bag me. You can triple bag it and the vapors are still going to get out. How are you going to get a tight seal? Ziploc? Tie it together? Idiots. But that goes back to the media. You created this. You pay for that guy's Hummer for being a dumbass. 
Yeah, I kind of feel a little strong about that. Extremely strong. Again, the number is 888-627-6008 if you want to chat. Biden and the middle class. Now, this is interesting. All through the campaign, from his basement, the middle class pays enough. It's time for those making over $400,000 to pay their fair share. And that is the message that he kept drilling home day after day after day. When he got inaugurated, said the same thing day after day after day. The middle class has paid their fair share. Now it's time for the super rich to pay theirs. Uh-oh. This week, Joe was talking about how he's going to pay for his infrastructure bill. Kind of reminded me of Johnson when he said, no American is going to pay a penny for my great society. I will not raise taxes on one American. Yeah, and he also said no American boy is going to go over and fight an Asian war. Yeah. So what did Joe say? The mid, He's going to come up with a user fee didn't say what he's going to put it on. Well, let's see. What are one of the biggest commodity in the United States that almost every citizen buys? Where's the Jeopardy music? Do, 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 do. Gas. We're going to put... I would imagine another user fee on gasoline and the middle class is going to have to pay it. Cause he said briefly, this was one of these questions that Peter Ducey asked that Joe's not supposed to respond to because he hasn't been properly prepped and it's not on the teleprompter. And they didn't tattoo it on his ass or his forehead. Well, yeah, the middle class is going to have to pay their fair share. Really? You hear anyone in the news talking about that? Especially the left-wing pundits? No. Why? Well, you do the math, unless you're one of those that said one plus one equals a thousand. You do the math. It destroys their narrative. Right out of the water.
yeah, this whole talk of the middle class is going to get a pass is a bunch of crap. And, you know, we didn't have a, quote, middle class classification until after World War II. So when Joe says this country was built on the back of the middle class, there was no such thing. There were rich, there were poor. And the poorest of the poor were the farmers that fed the damn country. You know, during the 20s, farmers that grew wheat were doing really, really good. Great wheat was a cash crop, believe it or not. But like most things in America, everybody got greedy. People on the East Coast saw how much money could made. They started buying up land. They had people go out that didn't know what they were doing, but they knew how to grow wheat. And in the process, we got too much wheat. The prices cratered. And then we got the dust bowl because back then they didn't know what crop rotation was. They kept growing the same stuff year after year after year after year after year until the nutrients in the soil were completely gone. Then we got caught in a drought from the Rockies just up to the Mississippi. It's a massive drought. We get winds blasting out of the Rockies and we get a dust bowl. But the irony of that was no one in Washington believed it until the dust actually blew into DC and they said, maybe there's a problem out there. It didn't matter all the bank closures and the farm closures and the migration to California from Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, because they'd literally lost the farm. But, you know, we know how well Washington reacts to things until it knocks on their door. They're clueless. Now, granted, we have a lot better communications today than we did back in the 20s and the 30s, but we still had forms of communication. We had the telegraph. You had train. It wasn't instantaneous, but when somebody walks into your office and says, uh, 300 farms in Nebraska just got taken over by the bank and they've been abandoned and they've got in Oklahoma and Texas, they've got sand drifts that are six feet tall. It's really bad. Yeah, don't worry about it. They'll take care of it. Yeah, that didn't work out too well. But that is our government in action, isn't it? Okay. So, yeah, middle class, this country was built on the backs of hard-working, productive Americans. Yes, we had slavery. I understand that in the South. Yes, the West had the coolies. They hated Chinese. You can see that in the movie Tombstone with Kurt Russell and Sam Elliott, Paxton. 
and uh, oh, I forgot who played Doc Holliday. Kilmer. Vlad Kilmer. You can see the Anti-Defamation Chinese League. We didn't mind them coming over and working for nothing. But every other country in the world has done that when they had an empire. And they were building something new. Rome. You think Rome was benevolent? You think Egypt was benevolent? Greece? Any of these countries? Spain? Look what Spain did to Central America and Mexico. They were very benevolent, weren't they? Germany in World War II. Who was working in those plants? You think it was all Germans? No, it was slave labor. I don't even want to get into that topic. But, you know, if you look at what they called our greatest generation, those that grew up in the Depression, fought World War II, went on to get educated and build the greatest country the world has ever seen in a form of government that has never been tried and is still being figured out by those who want to manipulate it. This country was strong before the quote middle class because we didn't need to be put into categories. We were put into the category of Americans. Yes. You know, if you go look at Philadelphia and Boston in New York, and there's a reason they have all these boroughs in these parts of town. Italians, Germans, Swedes, Irish, Blacks, Puerto Ricans, Whites, they all had their own neighborhood. But they worked together. If they all worked at the General Electric plant, they worked together. Doesn't mean they liked each other but they worked together. Edison, Con Edison, they worked together. Don't have to like each other. And I'm sure there's plenty of you out there that have worked with people that even if you have the same ethnic background, you couldn't stand the sons of bitches. I have. I've worked with plenty of people I didn't like. But I always looked at it, hey, I'm not going to go drink beer with them. Not today, not tomorrow, not any other day. I'm not doing it. I'll deal with you at work on a professional level. And once we leave, I don't want to see your ass until tomorrow morning. That's just the way it is. So, yeah, this crap about the middle class. Well, we didn't have one until after World War II. And you're so big on unions. How do the unions, why do we have a rust belt up around the Great Lakes unions? Why were all the mines shut down, all the coal mines, unions? Unions, when they formed, had a purpose. And that purpose was work days, hours, and safety. And there have been plenty of studies. I've seen them in ENR and other publications about 
once you work past 65 or 70 hours, your productive productivity goes down, but so does your awareness and your ability to react to situations. I've lived that. When I worked at this company, I pushed myself and sometimes too hard. I would work three, sometimes four days straight. It was stupid on my part. And then when I would finally go home and sleep, I'd sleep for a day and a half. Well, that's not healthy, but that's what I did. I loved what I did. And it took Debbie to pull me out of that and say, there is more to life than work. And there really is. The unions had a good start and then they charged dues and they started getting a lot of money and they got a lot more money and then they started getting political influence. And we all know where that trail is going to lead to is graph corruption and just mayhem. And it does Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah. We'll never find him. AFL CIO. I could go into the truckers strike in the seventies, but that would be pointless. And what the union truckers did to the independence. That's why you got the movie convoy because it was glamorizing what the independents were going through without showing the ugly side of what the union was doing to stop the independents from rolling and making a living, you know, independents were not getting any subsistence from a union. We're either hauling loads or we're not getting paid and we're not eating. That shit ain't going to happen. And it caused a lot of mayhem on the interstate system in the seventies. Look it up. If you don't believe me, it's pretty bad. So, and I was happy that, uh, the plant, the Amazon plant in Alabama voted down the union. Of course, the unions all up in arms about that. And they're going to file grievances and suits and this, that, and the other, because, because it's the union, but, uh, this country was not built on the back of the middle class. There was no middle class as this country expanded. It was hard working people before the civil war, after the civil war, there was no government subsidies. There were no handouts. So you better go to work and earn your keep. Yeah. Joe looks at that different. And lastly today, Biden's border crisis. They finally called it a crisis after Pasaki, that redheaded stepchild for months. It's it's a challenge. It's a challenge. It's not a crisis. It's a challenge. And I am, we are in contact with uh, those countries where the, these people are coming from, but, uh, we, we have it under control and we're, we're going to work with them and uh, they're, they're going to listen and uh, the borders are not open and you're full of shit, Jen Pasaki. Do they really think we don't listen to what they say? Well, if you put gas in a plastic bag, you're probably right. They don't listen.
was that about 80 million people? Something like that. It is a crisis. Did you, did the CDC lift the mask mandate so that the right wing media can't jump up and down and say, we're still in a pandemic and our borders open to soften that blow? I mean, if you're a conspiracy theorist, you might think that's the reason. You might be right. You might be wrong. We'll never know the actual going us on in what these people talk about, unless we come up with listening devices and bug all those agencies to actually hear what goes on behind closed doors. But oh, you can't do that. That would be a police state, and we don't need to go down that road. It is a crisis. And what gets me is I've heard nothing more about the K. Bailey Hutchinson Arena and these kids down here, not since Abbott came out and made a big show about not being allowed to go in, not being able to see what's going on in there. Haven't heard a damn thing about it since. Kind of like ERCOT, Greg, haven't heard a damn thing about it since. Was that just political posturing? Political posturing is going to get you voted out and Paxton voted in. And I just go back to Ken's letter that I read earlier. Concise, honest, to the point. I don't want to get into how I really feel about Abbott, but uh, this is a crisis. And to have my hair, what's his name? The guy who's over, I can't think of his name, McCornis? That's close enough. For He said there was no problem. He's still saying there's no problem. Yet, have they come down here? Has Kamala, who's in charge of the immigration problem come down to the board. No, has Joe, no, they can go everyplace else, but they can't come to the border. Imagine if Trump wouldn't be at the border. Oh my God, we'd be bombarded with that 28 hours a day. Joe and Kamala don't go and the, uh, and the media just, nah, just dismiss it. Yeah, it looks like they're having a problem down there, but uh, uh, Homeland Security and Border Patrol, they've got it under control, even though the Border Patrol is screaming, we don't have it under control. The sheriffs in the county say it's not under control, but kind of like the dust storm, the White House is ignoring it. And, you know, when we saw those caravans, headed back last summer when Trump was in office. I want you to go back and find old documentary films of the refugees from World War I, World War II, Korea, 
in Vietnam, those people that were fleeing, do they, are they wearing brand new clothes? Do they have $75 backpacks? Those people were fleeing with what they could carry on their back. And you look at their clothes, especially the World War II films. There ain't nothing just come off the shelf because there are no stores. They've all been destroyed and burned out. Yet we see these people wearing $200 sneakers, white shirts. Wait a minute. You traveled 2,000 miles across the desert and your shirt looks like it just came out of the laundromat and is starched and pressed. Now, if you don't call bullshit on that, then you really are. You need to get a Darwin Award along with these people that put gas in plastic grocery sacks. You get a Darwin Award, and then you get the Dumbass Award. So you'll be a two-time winner. How about that? You can put that plaque over the mantle on your fireplace. Look what I won, idiots. These people don't look downtrodden and depressed or emaciated. Look at some of the pictures of those prisoners that were released from the German concentration camps. And I'm talking about the POWs, not the execution centers, just the POWs. And then look at the ones from Japan. These guys are skin and bone. You see that with these people that took a month to get here? They haven't missed a meal. I've seen more fat people than I can shake a stick at. Well, who the hell's feeding them? It is a crisis. And someone is funding the hell out of this. I mean, we've heard, oh, they're seeking asylum. They're looking for opportunity. Oh, wait a minute. I saw one story where they caught a plane. They flew into Mexico, I believe. They caught a bus. It took them X amount of miles, and then they walked. Where'd they get the money for the plane and the bus? These people are supposed to be destitute. They supposedly have lost everything. What, did they just shit the money out? Did they go in the backyard and pick it off the all-infamous money tree? I don't think so. Who's funding this? And if they're doing it themselves, then what jobs did they have to acquire enough wealth to get a plane ticket, a bus ticket, brand new clothes, food for the trip, a new backpack, new jeans, new hats. I just love the Biden-Harris shirts. Where do those come from? Do they just like Lucky Charms magically appear? You tell me, I don't know, but it's obvious it's being funded by somebody. What a crock. This is the biggest scam the United States has ever seen. We know this administration isn't going to do a damn thing about it. They have proven that. What I'm waiting for, I haven't heard a word about it, you know, I think it was uh, six or eight weeks ago, everyone, I, somehow a story was leaked out that Biden was reconsidering finishing portions of the wall that Trump had started. And 
Of course, everyone on the right just jumped up and down and said, see, told you so, told you so. Well, I haven't heard a thing about it, but I also haven't heard anything from those 11 contractors that were working on the wall and the 100 million plus lawsuit that's going to come out of this because the government breached their contract. I'm still waiting for that. You know, maybe engineering news record has something on it. I've looked, but I didn't find anything. Or concrete construction, they might have something, but I haven't seen any articles there. So, you know, what are they going to do with the border? Nothing. They won't do anything. The feds won't do anything until the states really get tough. I mean, what do we have? Operation Lone Star in Texas? Okay. Is it working? I can't answer that. But the feds aren't going to do a damn thing until they are forced to under this administration. And if you don't believe that, just look at the actions they've taken so far. Incompetence. Absolute, utter incompetence. You know, we need America to survive. We need America to stay, stay strong. America always swings. Sometimes it takes longer than others. We had, a dem we had Democratic presidents for 20 years before we got a Republican, which was Eisenhower. I mean, we had FD FDR and Harry Truman. I liked Harry Truman. I liked Franklin Roosevelt. Doesn't mean I liked everything Franklin did, but he was a good commander in chief for World War II, and you can't take that away from him. You can complain about some of the deals that he made with Stalin, and the conspiracy theorists will say, well, his right hand man was Harry Hopkins, who was a card carrying communist, which is true. But, uh, if we don't help Russia stave off Nazi Germany, I mean, we only sent over 600,000 vehicles to Russia. That's what made them this red, made the red army into this mobile weapon. All they had to do was concentrate on tanks, artillery. We gave them all the trucks and Jeeps. You can see, see them in the old pictures, the Katyusha, that uh, rocket launcher. That's a Dodge truck they're sitting on. So they could concentrate on the real armaments of war, and we were supplying them the auxiliary that makes an army mobile, which the Russian army, as we all know, became very, very mobile. Shockingly mobile at times. It was amazing how much land that they would gobble up, but they also had an unending labor force, manpower force that they could draw on. That most, I mean, even we didn't have that type of resource at all. Okay. Is there anything else we want to go after? Well, we did talk about what's going on in Israel and Gaza. This, this has been going on for centuries. 
It was accelerated when England lost all their holdings in the Middle East after World War II because they were broke and the UN broke up the Middle East and all to these countries and in 48 came up with the state of Israel as acknowledgement of what the Jews encountered during the Holocaust. They didn't like each other up and before that and they really don't like them now. None of the Arab states except for the ones that Trump was able to get agreements with in the Abraham Accords like Israel, Iran, Iraq, Jordan, Syria, they can't stand them. Egypt, they kind of learned their lesson that uh, we're not going to take on someone who's going to kick our ass again. Will there ever be peace in this region? Well, Jimmy Cotta, Jimmy Cotta. Yeah, it's like Chamberlain. I, I've got peace in the Middle East. I, I've got peace. Yeah, I think that lasted like a week. And I support Israel. If you look at the PLO, that was one of the biggest terror organizations of the world in the 70s under the tutelage of Yasser Arafat. Hijackings bombings it's been relentless those the palestinians are never going to accept the israels israelites that's just never going to happen never i say that and then i think of the ira did we ever think the IRA would cease and desist from attacking Great Britain. That was the Irish Republican Army because they didn't want to be ruled by London. And for those of us old enough to remember, there was plenty of bloodshed in those two countries. They finally figured it out. But then they're kind of isolated by a small body of water. So it's not like they have to intermingle all the time. Whereas this West Bank, this has been a hotbed of contention for over 70 years. And I don't see that going away anytime soon. They've tried to come up with arrangements and agreements. But what gets me is every time Israel gets attacked, remember the last time was from Lebanon when Hamas went over there and thought they'd come in the back door in Israel. And once again, if it weren't for the UN, Israel would have driven to the Mediterranean sea and taken Lebanon over just like they could have taken over Egypt in the six day war. You know, don't mess with Israel. Everyone that attacks them gets their ass kicked soundly, quickly, and bloodily. So whatever Hezbollah and Hamas think they're going to do, I mean, they started this. But then if you listen to the media enough, they blame the Israelis for defending themselves. I've never understood this. Are these people just anti-Semitic in the media? 
It doesn't matter that Hamas or Hezbollah or any other group launched a first strike, a preemptive strike. Israel fights back, and they focus on how many civilians and children that the Israeli killed. Well, what about how many Israelis were killed? Well, they don't focus on that. That'd be like us not focusing on the Japanese attacking Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. That would have been somebody else's fault, and we would have been chastised (coughs) for shooting down 30 of the Japanese planes that attacked our base and destroyed our Navy. I can see the press doing that. If you took today's press and put it back on December 7th, 1941, they would chastise the American fighter pilots for fighting back and attacking the enemy. And that's what we see in the media today. Israel gets attacked, they retaliate, and now they're at fault. I thought we were over anti-Semitism after we saw Dachau, Buchenwald, Auschwitz, Bergen-Belsen, Therostat, Treblinka. I thought we'd gotten over that. No, we haven't. Not even close. And then when you have a congressman stand on the Senate, Congress bitch, excuse me, stand on the Senate floor and chastise Israel, that is our ally. You're committing treason and you need to be ousted, Ilan Omar. Take your goat-smelling ass back to Somalia. And take your constituents with you. How's that? And anyone who sides with her, then you are siding against the United States' ally. The term treason come to mind. But we let this happen on the floor of the House of Representatives without being admonished. But we want to come up with $1.9 billion dollars. Because of a, quote, insurrection on January 6th? Who's spreading the hate? Who's spreading the discord? Who's spreading the narrative? You tell me, and we'll both know. Okay. Where are we at here? All right. It's time to start wrapping this up. If you enjoy this content, the only way I can keep going is with contributions. I have a GoFundMe motivational speaker and author for hire because I would rather earn it than take a handout. And to subscribe to that, to give money to that because each one of these episodes cost cost me $99 and I enjoy doing it but we can only go so far sometimes uh, you can also get into the archives on BBS Radio 1 and I believe it starts at like $2.99 a month or something to get all of the past episodes I've had since September. I believe that's when I started doing this broadcast. That's another way you can do it. I have a uh, Patreon account, which I will admit I haven't done a lot with it. I need to load some more content in there. 
but I also have a YouTube channel, uh, Director 59, and the more subscribers and likes that I receive, then that will start, start monetizing that channel. And then, of course, I have all of my books on Jeff Dawson, Amazon.com. I post a lot of articles on my website, LDDJEnterprises.com, and it's that's the first one that pops up. You know, everyone talks about search engines and being number one. You type in LDD, LDDJ Enterprises, first thing that pops up. And the book buying page is, it needs to be cleaned up. I probably need to get another one put together because it is 10 years old, but I don't, I'm not fluent in the language that it's written in. So I'm probably going to have to come up with something a lot simpler that I can handle and manage. But when you click on the blog link, it takes you to all the books and it takes you to a lot of the articles that I post on Facebook or I will cover in this broadcast because I don't like calling this a show per se. I look at it as a resource of information that you can think about and you can agree or you're going to disagree with my conclusions because that's what a healthy debate is all about. I don't expect everyone to agree with everything I say. I argue with my conservative friends, but it's a healthy debate. We get our issues aired out. We had one last night at dinner, believe it or not. I was talking about all the anchors that I just couldn't stand and uh, hope popped up and goes, well, what do you think about Candace Owens? And I said, I like her. I like her because she's succinct, honest, and to the point. Because I was, I made the comparison that Dana Perino reminds me of a female Willie Nelson. Every time she talks, all I hear is that nasal tone. It's like, oh, please stop talking, please. Now, that doesn't mean everyone at the table agreed with my assessment, which was fine. Because my dear friend, there are certain people that she likes that I have been very vocal about that I can't stand. Well, that's okay. But we can talk about it civilly. We can actually laugh about it because I will get so animated. They're like, my God, he is just a raving lunatic sometimes. But it gets to the point of being ridiculous that you can't help but laugh. And that really makes it for a good debate. Whereas I've had other debates with people on Facebook that I've just eliminated because they have nothing to add to the discussion, nothing intelligent, say the least. They're probably one that put gas in trash bags. That's their problem, not mine. It's, you got to be able to discuss the issues openly and freely. And hopefully we can continue to do this. Oh, there is one other thing I wanted to bring up that I caught briefly and I haven't researched it, but I'm going to. We know that Georgia passed a new voting rights bill and other states are in the process. And I caught this little blurb and I don't know who it was from, 
but you know, the feds have HR one that passed the house. I've read it. I've talked about it. It's an absolutely horrible bill. And I might do that on the next episode. Now we won't be live in two weeks because the production company is making a move and they won't have the ability to do that. So it'd be a pre-recorded uh, broadcast in two weeks. Oh, I stand corrected. We will be live. Okay. Well, that's a good thing. And that will be Memorial Day weekend. But uh, what this blurb said is that the feds are wanting those state bills submitted to them before they can be approved by the state's legislature. Now, that's why I've got to research this. That's what a dictatorship does. You're taking away the sovereign power of the states to legislate themselves. Well, like I said, I'm going to research this more, but that really caught my eye that the feds want to vet a state's voting bill. If that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. Because if they, if this is true and they can do it with voting, what else will they determine that states need to submit legislation? to the feds before they can pass that legislation or give it to their constituents and voters. Chew on that for a little bit. All right. Well, we covered quite a bit today. I hope you feel informed. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you will contribute and help me to continue doing these broadcasts. Until then, this is Jeff Dawson signing out. And yeah, I will say goodbye, ladies and gentlemen, and boys and girls. And for you woke people, I just don't give two shits. Y'all have a good weekend, good two weeks, and we will talk to you then. I hope you enjoyed our time together. I know I did. Without you wonderful listeners, this show would not be possible. If you want to know more about me and how my brain works, that's a scary thought. Check out my books at jeffdawsononamazon.com, websites LDDJ Enterprises and jeffdawsonauthor.site for upcoming releases and teaser excerpts from past and present publications. You can also contact me at Facebook, LDDJ Enterprises Publishing, or email LDDJ Enterprises at gmail.com or on Twitter at JeffDawson59. Have a great week and look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Dawson's Domain.